Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that won the gold medal for rigidly staying to the same format every single week. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week we're going to talk about what we've been watching, mixing TV and movies. We'll talk some real news and our main review is The Suicide Squad, the new one directed by James Gunn. James, before we dive in, have you noticed anything different this week? About what? That's it's quite. You have to narrow it down a little bit. About this interaction between us both? Nope. Right, okay. I'm looking you in the eye. Nope. Nope. Right, okay, never mind. I've, I bought a camera because I was sick of looking. I basically never look at my camera because it's on such a small screen and I use my secondary monitor. Bought a webcam, now I look at people in the face, but it seems as though it was £60 completely down the drain because you haven't even noticed. I hadn't noticed. You're still looking in the same direction. Do I, do I still look fat after you fat shamed me the other week? I didn't, I didn't fat shame you. I, I agreed with an assessment that you'd already made in a conversation that you started. Which was? That I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just brought that up to highlight that uh, I think I said to you, no, I'm, you, didn't, you didn't fat shame well, me. I knew, said... I, knew, I knew that no matter what I said, you'd go off and complain about it. I'm not doing that. If anything, I admired your honesty. It wasn't ruthless. You said, I think I said, am I a fat mess? And you said, no, you've put on weight. And that was giving me the honest truth. And I thank you for that. And I think I said to you, not because I felt attacked, but I said, I'm going to go on a diet. And uh, you also noted that I'm still smoking, Um, which again, wasn't a dig. But I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. To which you probably thought, yeah, you said this a year ago. But anyway, I said I was quitting on Monday. said I was sorting my life out. I had three meals out over the weekend since, and I'm still smoking. Great. <laughs> Great. How's your life been? Any any progress? Any positive progress in your life, James? No, no progress in, in anything. I'm still in exactly the same place that I was a week ago, a year ago, three years ago. <laughs> since birth. Since birth. I'm still made up of the same cells that I was born with. James, sock it to me. What have you been watching this week? I watched the other big cinema release that was also on Disney+. Plus. I didn't have to leave the house for it. Jungle Cruise, starring mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Dwayne Johnson takes Emily Blunt on a boat up the Amazon to find a magic tree. They fight the environment and Spanish conquistadors. And it's a completely acceptable, entertaining, politically correct film. Emily Blunt very nearly steals the film away from The Rock. I think she might actually be the main character, even though The Rock has top billing. The opening scene is her stealing an arrowhead in a very Indiana Jones-like scene in a museum. And then it is Emily Blunt that hires The Rock and says, this is our mission, this is where we're going. Emily Blunt is a knowledgeable scientist who knows where she wants to go she studied the maps and Dwayne Johnson thinks that he knows it all and he's got all the experience of the Amazon so that all works really well I read an article in the Atlantic about Dwayne Johnson's role in this not being as good as his other roles like in Fast and Furious where he's a bit more edgy and I think that's true it's a very generic traditional hero role by design he can definitely do better 
and has done better. But he fits in with what the film is. It's generic family entertainment done about as well as it can be. Not as good as Pirates of the Caribbean, the first Pirates of the Caribbean that it's been compared to. But I think it's it's worthy of that very high audience score that it's got. Very good. I watched 35 minutes of this and I plan to watch the rest because I'm not spending £30 to not finish film off. I was enjoying it. The missus, not so much. She just said, in fact, she said nothing. She just continued to play on her phone. And I said, well, if you're not watching it, then I'll turn it off then. She didn't respond. Um, so I'll probably watch the rest at some point. It was okay. She said, it's Jumanji on a boat. I would submit that if you're a fan of Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt already, which I am, you will get something out of it just because you're watching them interact with each other. Otherwise, I think you're going to struggle. I did like what I saw of both of them. The one thing that I will say, there's this, oh, I'm a wise-cracking bloke with these little one-liners that are very consistent at the very beginning when you get your introduction to The Rock. Wore a bit thin, that. Give it a rest. Yeah, his dad jokes. I think I may use one of those, though, at some point this week. See how it goes down. It's all in the delivery, isn't it? Just want to see if I'm better than The Rock. Anyway, let's move on. What else have you been watching? Biohacker Season 2, as promised two episodes ago, this is an underrated German Netflix series. Underrated, underviewed, with something like two critics' reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. No one cares about this. And the IMDb score is low because there's a lot of user reviews saying, this is not as good as Dark. Dark is better, the other German Netflix series. But it's nothing like Dark. Don't compare them. It's not fair. I very much enjoyed season one and talked about it last year. It's about a German biology student sent to spy on a teacher slash CEO who's doing unethical research at her evil corporation that does evil corporation things. I thought season one was an entertaining mix of university college drama, espionage mystery thriller with romance thrown in. Season two goes in a different direction with an amnesia storyline for the main character and then a thrilling mystery built in around that. The events of season one seem to have been resolved off screen between seasons and we're in the aftermath. But the main character doesn't remember any of that and the audience didn't see it either. So it's confusing, but in in a good way that adds to the amnesia and the mystery. And there's a bit of a race against time element thrown in. And you know what? I enjoyed it. I'm not saying it's the best thing that's been out in the last few months. I just think it's underrated and entertaining and netflix haven't messed it up unlike they did with altered carbon the story does end here as well at season two so with season one and two you've got 12 episodes in total to binge watch i recommend it i'm very glad to hear you say that because i think it was off your recommendation of season one i went and watched it and i thoroughly enjoyed it too so i'll be checking that out 100 percent here yeah i will because of the yeah Daniel, what have you been watching? Something that 98% of people have probably never heard of, and that's why I'm talking about it. Have you heard of Alone, James, the TV series? No. It's a History Channel programme. There's probably other means of watching this. It might be available on Sky in some guise, but I, what's it called? Seven Day Trialed It on Amazon Prime, the History Channel, because I heard this talked about on another podcast that I'm not going to mention. And you can get season six and seven within your seven-day trial. And it's about a bunch of survival experts being dropped in the middle of the arse end of nowhere. To be precise, it's a great slave lake in Canada. And they're allowed to take 10 pieces of gear with them 
to like assist them in the journeys and they're expected to live off the land and fight to stay alive essentially for as long as they can until one man or woman is left standing and that person this is the most shocking bit to me will receive half a million dollar prize now for a show that i've never heard of that seems like an extortionate amount of money to give someone but anyway makes it more compelling the interesting and impressive thing about this is they are completely isolated from what I can gather. So there's no camera crew. They film themselves on a daily basis and the contestants are on completely opposite ends of the land. So they don't run into each other or anything like that. And it follows them like building shelters, some of which you're like, that God, that looks really, really impressive. Good on you. They're hunting for food with varying degrees of success and basically just trying to live from one day to the next. They actually go like a week or two sometimes like Alana has not ate for two weeks. And you're like, that's not humanly possible, but it must be. The main driving force behind me watching this was I needed something appropriate, yet not mind-numbing to watch when my son is awake, whilst I could, you know, just ignore him. And this was rated U, and I thought, brilliant, this is something we can have on in the background, and it's not going to scar him for life. That was a mistake. That was a huge mistake, because this is terrifying. I, d- I don't know how it's a U, because it shows more dead animals in a single episode than I've seen throughout a lifetime driving on British motorways. I wouldn't say it's like not unnecessarily gory, but you see them like bloodied and gutted and things like that. So it it doesn't hide it from you. And when I said terrifying before, I'm more talking about the amount of stuff that goes wrong for these people. So you've got like a woman who accidentally stabs herself in the leg with an arrow, then a guy who eats a parasite ridden fish and has crippling stomach pains to the point that he has to be removed from the competition there's another contestant who accidentally sets fire to their own shelter whilst they're in it and then there's like examples of a huge bear or a wolverine lurking outside someone's shelter and they were just sleeping so it's it's really anxiety inducing and it does feel very dangerous there was some real sadistic joy for me watching this because you get these really bravado heavy men thinking that this is just a walk in the park for them they are after all survival experts and then six episodes in, they're reduced to absolute tears, having to admit defeat through lack of knowledge or ignorance, or just falling over and breaking the foot because they've been clumsy. And one guy in particular, he thinks he's set himself up for weeks because he kills a deer. He's like, I've got a full deer to live off here. This is awesome. He skins it, he butchers it, and he sleeps with it in his tent overnight, which was quite disgusting. And he's got all this meat, but then they do like a weekly weigh-in to check how they're doing. And he comes to learn that he's actually starving to death because there is no fat content within the meat. So he's, he's getting nothing from it. And he's, it was I, I shouldn't laugh, but I just thought it was quite fascinating. And it gives you little facts along the way. So it says like how many calories they're burning because of the activities they've done and just little things about diet, which keep it interesting. So it was eye-opening for me. And personally, it made me realise, I guess, just how easy we have it. Because if I'm hungry, I'll I'll go downstairs, dip into the big crisp drawer that we've got, and, I, and I'll graze away. That's why I'm a fat mess. Um, no effort needed to survive. Crisps, not a sustainable diet, by the way. But it just really brings home to me that we really do take a lot for granted. And I have massive admiration and respect for what these people put themselves through and just how knowledgeable they were in, in the field. It's, it's very, very interesting. I can see it getting samey, but I do like what I've seen so far. That sounds really interesting, especially the facts about the calories and, and stuff. Seven years, though, I, wonder, I do wonder how it doesn't get repetitive. 
I am going to see season seven and maybe I'll report back and say, nah, it's got stale and boring now. I'm not interested. But so far, I like what I've seen. Apart from a woman eating the contents of a rabbit's stomach because she's that hungry. That wasn't great. It sounds like an extreme version of the Bear Grylls program where he puts them on a desert island and they film them. They're filmed themselves as well. But in that, it does look very much like the producers put some pigs next to the camp and said, there's some pigs next to the camp. Go and kill the pigs to stop them all from dying because they're all so useless. Yeah, I've never seen anything like this personally. And I, I know Burger, I think the missus mentioned Burger Hills had done something similar, but I have nothing to compare it to. And, and this is very good. Okay. What else have you been watching? I think I, I teased this a few weeks ago. Uh, tease implies people got excited. I don't know if they did. It's Baptiste on the BBC. This is a spin-off from The Missing, which was back in 2014. The Missing was a particularly good crime drama that focused on missing persons and the investigations into finding them. First series was centred on James Nesbitt and his family after his son goes missing on holiday in France. And it had a real Madeleine McCann feeling to it, which I think struck a nerve with a lot of people at the time. Second series, similar in setup, but again, it's taking place in a different country. I think it was Germany in that one. And that was David Morrissey and his family and learning what happened to his daughter who went missing a few years prior. But the connective tissue which held them together was the detective who appeared in both series. Julianne Baptiste, played by Cheki Kayo. Obviously, they saw a lot of potential in his character and they gave him his own series. The first of which we think it aired back in 2019 and it definitely showed that they could retain the same quality and a similar premise, but it still felt fresh. And I think a large part of that is that the locations which they use to tell the story, they're all completely different, all in different countries. And because of that, you feel like you're getting a new show each time. You're not familiar with the setting. All the characters, bar Baptiste, are entirely new. Baptiste himself, he's quite a complex character. He's enigmatic as a person, but there's this soothing nature to him. You feel safe when he's around, despite trouble following him wherever he goes. Although, to be fair, he inserts himself into the trouble, so it's probably the other way around. Because he's a French detective, he's basically Inspector Clouseau if you weren't taking the piss. And he's got such a commanding screen presence. I absolutely love him in this role. He's just a delight to watch. Anyway, in Series 2, he travels off to Hungary to assist a British ambassador played by Fiona Shaw, and she's attempting to unravel what has happened to her husband and sons after they all go missing during the night while she's sleeping. Baptiste himself, he's carrying around the recent death of his daughter, and it is a very well-worn cliche, but he, throughout all the series, he pushes his marriage to the brink by sidelining that personal life and constantly getting involved in these investigations, even when it's no longer his job, which is the case in season two or series, should I say. The way in which he gets involved this time around is quite comical. He's sat in his hotel room watching TV and eating a pot noodle or, or equivalent. Uh, news appeal comes up from the British ambassador and you think, here we go again. Why are you getting involved, you nosy bastard? Because otherwise there wouldn't be another series, would there? Like the previous series, the story is told across two parallel timelines. You see the present day and details are teased and it's quite confusing as to, you know, why does Baptiste now look like a homeless father Christmas? 
or how did this woman end up in a wheelchair when she was walking earlier? And then through a series of flashbacks, you come to slowly understand what's going on and how things came to be. It's not a new way of storytelling, but I'd argue that they've mastered the craft of doing that with Baptiste and The Missing. It works extremely well for these shows. Using Hungary as the location, they weave in a very intriguing plot of political unrest and national terrorism. The less I say about that, the better. It definitely went down some unexpected paths and the show goes in a different direction than what they've done in previous years. Just to highlight that a bit, there's a full-on machine gun massacre in this. That's not something I would associate with this show. It feels a lot grander in scale than the series that have come before it. One small thing I did want to draw attention to, because I think it's important, I would not have picked up on this, by the way, if I hadn't read The Telegraph's review. This is a primetime crime drama fronted by two actors in the 60s. Now, I, I was so enthralled with the drama that it did not even register with me that that was the case, or in fact, how rare it is to see that on screen. But it just made me think, my God, yeah, that is unusual, but it's a really good example of why it really doesn't matter. If the story's interesting enough, who cares whether there's eye candy on screen? And another word on Fiona Shaw, The Guardian said, and I'll quote, because this really, really did my head in. I am not certain Shaw intends to reprise her chilly but imperious British agent from Killing Eve, but her character, Emma Chambers, clad in sensible woolens, eyebrows arched into superfluous circumflexes, is a pretty similar one. Not that I'm complaining. We should all recycle more. You clearly haven't watched the programme. It couldn't be further removed from a character in Killing Eve, which made me really seriously question the validity of some of the reviews that come out. You, you, They haven't seen it. They just haven't seen it. And it's, it's insulting because she is unbelievably good in this. She is awesome. Anyway, I'm sorry for banging on a bit. I bloody loved Baptiste Series 2. I thought it was great. A lot of other people love it as well. It is one of the top shows on BBC iPlayer. Not a surprise. I might have to venture into your turf and watch that crime drama. Are you going to start with The Missing or are you just going to bypass it and go straight to Baptiste? Might just bypass The Missing. Shame. Good show. Good show. Let's move on to real news. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news. News. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings movie fan. Geek. I've only listened to the first book, not even read it. <laughs> Amazon Studios have released that first image of the TV series. And according to Deadline.com from an article on the 2nd of August, filming wrapped today on season one. And it's going to be released on Friday, September 2nd, 2022. Clear your schedules. Yep. Or will we be doing... James, you've literally just said, massive fan of the films. It doesn't matter that you haven't read the book. It doesn't matter that you haven't listened to the audiobook. You fell in love with the films, and there is naff all wrong with that, James. Say it loud and proud, but do you care about this? I don't think I do at the moment. It's set in the second age, thousands of years prior to the events of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and little else is known about the plot. So there's nothing to be excited about. But we know where it ends. And I love the films. And I loved Ian McKellen and Viggo Mortensen and Elijah Wood in them. And the music of Howard Shaw. Just because it's got the brand attached to it doesn't automatically mean it's going to be good. No, that's true. And I, I understand where you're coming from. I've learned something today because me not having an interest in this property 
I haven't read any of the news around it. So news to me that it is a prequel. I thought this was going to be a rehash of the films, which didn't make any sense to me because I thought, they're that damn long. They're already at series length. Why would you do this? You never know. There might be um, an interesting story to tell that it was it is in this universe, but is completely separate. But like you say, it's not the same people making it. So is it going to capture that same magic? Yeah, and I'm sure there definitely is an interesting story to tell. There's a whole world, a whole Middle Earth of interesting stories to tell. It's just, will it be a good story? Will it be well made? And they've released this image of it. And yeah, it looks good. It looks like an image from Lord of the Rings with an old styly city, a white city with some nice scenery and a big tree in the background. So it's got everything that you'd expect, but I'm, I am not hyped. Current status is not hyped. But you will give it a go upon its arrival. I will, I will watch it inevitably, yeah. Well, I will remain non-committal, couldn't give a monkey's shoulder blade. What if it is about a crime investigation in the world of Middle Earth, will that make you interested in it? If there's a dirty, kinky murder in Middle Earth, I'm down for that, yeah. We've struggled for real news this week and, and to pad out the time of the podcast, so we've done a few minutes on a single image. And <laughs> another another thing that I just want to point out is that Dave Batista is a clickbait news-generating machine. He's generated dozens of articles this week just by making two tweets. Tweet number one, in response to the Scarlett Johansson suing Disney, he said, I told them they should make a Drax movie, but no. And that's all he said. And that generated so many articles about Batista's shocking response. Batista weighs in. Fans are outraged about his response. The debate over Batista's response. It's like he's feeding them articles to write, but all he's done is, is make a joke. And fans are divided. Fans debate. Tweet number two, someone asked him, were you asked to do Drax in the Marvel What If animated series? And he said, no, I wasn't asked. The shocking reason that Batista does not appear in What If? <laughs> Batista shocks fans. Marvel snubs Batista in What If? Shocking, it's, it's one small tweet generating lots of articles. And that's the problem when you're trying to look for actual news content because it's all responses to a very small thing. You have to wade through that to find what's actually going on. And even when you get to the murky depths, you discover there's nothing there, which is kind of what happened this week, which is why we're inserting this story here. It is just ridiculous. He could mean, specific to that first tweet, it could be box office-wise, it would have done better, let's be honest, Dave Batista. No, it wouldn't have done. Just stop making it as though it's an attack on someone. It's just inciting up a bit of hatred as well and a bit of animosity, and there's no need for it. Take it as the playful comment that it was intended to be. I assume that's my new story on it harmless you know what's not harmless suicide hello i'd like to order an opinion please this film is new fresh point of view Call me sit back this is a fact we in the hours here are some hours thoughts in sync tell you what to think i'll listen to you but please don't rap again this week's main review is the suicide squad you know the deal. Complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. You fail to follow my orders in any way, and I detonate the explosive device in the base of your skull. Love him or hate him, these are your brothers and sisters for the next few days. Any questions? And? Yes, that is your hand. Very good. We're all gonna die. I hope so. 
fresh off being sacked by Disney, James Gunn makes a film about people who are killed by an evil organisation if you make the slightest deviation from your expected behaviour. No, I'm just joking. Don't take this seriously. This highly anticipated third entry into the Deadpool series is so subversive, Deadpool does not feature in the film. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm not taking myself seriously. The Suicide Squad is back with an answer to the question, how many no-name actors can you afford if Will Smith doesn't come back for the sequel? No, I'm joking. I'm not taking myself seriously. This is irreverent. I didn't put any effort into this. It's just a bit of a laugh. Oh, here's a Johnny Cash song. I feel like it's worth saying you've like pretty much come up with that like off the cuff. Supervillains, Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Pacemaker, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Bell Rev Prison join the super secret, super shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Daniel, what did you think of The Suicide Squad? I've no love for the original film. I never saw it. Word of mouth on that film was enough to put me off completely. Uh, I also, hands up, know nothing about these characters aside from Harley Quinn because I'd seen the Harley Quinn film, which is too long for me to pronounce on this podcast. And I enjoyed that quite a lot. Early reviews for this came out a few weeks ago and it was getting more than decent feedback across the board. And so as a result of that, I was excited about the prospect of an adult superhero film. And I think we've mentioned it before. James Gunn, I'm quite the fan of three of his films. So casual. It's consistently entertaining, this film. I wasn't bored throughout the entire runtime. And it is, by design, a bunch of misfits being forced to work together and it's against the will. The American government are just doing it so that they can reduce the prison sentence. And the fact that there's such an eclectic mix of personalities leads to natural conflict amongst them, and it breeds some good moments of humour, I would say, especially between Peacemaker and Bloodsport. I keep wanting to say Pacemaker. I don't know why. I'm worried about my heart. The actors are all on fine form. John Cena, once again, he proves that he can act, but he's also got a gift for comic timing, I would argue. Idris Elba, he exudes badass and he's got charisma galore, as you might expect. And they bounce off each other quite entertainingly. Also, the addition of Sylvester Stallone as King Shark, which I only found out after I'd seen the film. And I thought, where was Sylvester Stallone in this film? I saw his name in the credits. What's that about? He's really good, despite feeling like they've reskinned Groot out of Guardians of the Galaxy. He's funny. And it did get a reaction out of the audience that I was sat with, who talked a lot. Similarly, another in the groups, in fact, I'll say it's Polka Dot Guy, I don't know his official name, his obsession with his mother and murder was awkwardly funny, and I like that. So it's got the comedy and the performances are there. Check. There's some really good moments of action. A standout for me being the one that features Margot Robbie committing mass murder as if it was a dance routine. I really loved that. Again, check. It's not the only moment. I also really respected about this film the fact that it is entirely accessible, I think. You can watch this without any knowledge of the characters and still get something out of it. It's also gory as all hell. There's more violence and blood in this film than anything I've seen in recent memory, although I do recall saying that about something else we've seen recently, but maybe this passed it. And because of that, the type of adult twist on the superhero story it's trying to tell, it to me, it felt like, you know, Amazon's The Boys TV series, it felt like that on the big screen. It's very similar in tone, and the amount of gore that's on display, as I said, 
it's like they were trying to make a movie of the boys and it, it is what I would expect it to look and feel like. But the problem for me is I don't think the characters and the powers or abilities are anywhere near as interesting as any of those that feature in the boys. And neither is the plot, unfortunately for me. It's so unbelievably basic that I was initially shocked as to how little there was to it. Evil men have an evil plan. Find them, thwart them, job done. Sorry if that's a spoiler. Aside from Idris Elba and Harley Quinn, there's really little exploration into the background of the characters. They do touch on them, but it's not extensive. And obviously we've got two hours here, so I'm not expecting something massively in depth, but I think I was just expecting a bit more because I don't know anything about them prior. Because of all this, it, to me, landed similarly to Justice League in that I felt like there's some origin story films and background completely missing, or they've just glossed over it for the sake of convenience. And as well, these films are fantastical. Obviously, they don't stick within the realms of possibility, but the big bad entity in this was just overly cartoonish and a bit ridiculous. And I do, I do think that was purposeful, but it just kind of made me roll my eyes and took me out of it a bit. There's nothing here I've not seen a thousand times over at this point. And I think my partner, she notoriously does not entertain superhero films. It's, it's not her jam, she says, without watching any of them. But I coerced her into watching this on our annual day out without a child. And she said to me, we left. It was similar to our experience with Old last week. I said, oh, what did you think of that? She went, I loved it. You didn't say you loved Old. I must put that out there. But I just turned to her in disbelief and went, what? What? Couldn't believe it. She had a really good time with it. But for me, I think I think it is a me problem. I think I, I've been waiting for this moment and people will call me a hypocrite because I don't get tired of crime films, but I've got superhero fatigue and I genuinely think I've had enough at this point. And it didn't do anything new or interesting enough to command my attention and for me to hail this as the next great superhero film. That's what I thought. James, what about you? The DC Cinematic Universe being a series of mostly unrelated films might turn out to be a good decision after all. They really have said to James, go and do what you want. And it doesn't come across in the trailers just how much he is doing what he wants. I actually liked the idea of placing a ridiculous film in a believable basic setting that we've seen before in action films. A jungle-heavy island that is fighting American influence. The infiltration plot, like the setting, like you've said, is familiar. It's basic, but I felt this wasn't about the story. It's about how many times can we say the F word in between rock songs and violent montages. I liked the simplicity, so much so that I wasn't even thinking about the plot or the plot holes. I was just taking in the barrage of fun. So in the audience summary of the audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes, it says the plot may not be amazing. And I thought, oh yeah, the plot, there was a plot. Okay, it just didn't enter my brain. So many ideas are packed in. Every scene is so rich with either humour or action or style that it doesn't drag on. Even when things slow down, like when they're moving through the jungle just talking, things are done to keep you entertained or you learn about the characters or there's some big visual joke like Polka Dot Man's mother. However, I didn't like the time jumping. You've not mentioned it. Maybe it wasn't as much of an issue for you. Going back three days at the start was pushing it after the opening scene, but doing the eight minutes earlier at the climax was not good. I did not like that. Don't mess with my climactic finish, but we'll talk about that more in spoilers. They love the F word in this film. It's overused. It's like a child who's been told to do a rap album and he can say whatever he wants. So he just swears because he can. It was distracting. 
But there are some truly, honestly, laugh out loud lines like the one from the trailer about eating dicks for the sake of freedom. James Gunn directed Guardians of the Galaxy and he brings his humor and irreverence to this, but he doesn't own this subgenre of superhero film. I think Deadpool is the closest comparison to this. So while it's brilliant, it's not subversive or daring. It's a safe entry into that Deadpool category. Maybe you'd put Thor Ragnarok in there as well, that just doesn't have the swearing, but is a similar. We're not taking this too seriously. Come on, guys. The cast is huge. So I will just mention one superstar, John Cena, as you've already pointed out. The timing, the comic timing and the delivery is perfect. And it has to come from him being a wrestler and doing live 20 minute speeches to a live audience of thousands. He's so good with his jokes. They all land perfectly. And I'd love to see more of Peacemaker. The dynamic between Peacemaker, Bloodsport and Captain Flag works really well. It's quite a packed film, but they focus in on their relationship and it pays off nicely in the end. There is effort put into making connections between other characters as well. Ratcatcher 2 and Bloodsport, Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher, Captain Flag and Harley Quinn have some nice looks between each other. Not romantic, they just have this respect for each other because they were both in the previous film. It doesn't take itself seriously, but it does try to do a little bit more than just make you laugh. I think there is some effort put in, into the relationships between the characters. And I liked that Harley Quinn was left by herself for a while. Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie, they can carry a solo subplot in a team film. I liked that. It's good to see a good old-fashioned criticism of American global power in a film. And it fits nicely alongside the Suicide Squad idea that is a secret American squad. I need to see it again, but this might be one of the best comic book movies ever. Wow. Wow. You've put it out there and immediately made me call into question everything that I've just said. I really like about that. I'm not patting ourselves on the back. We've both come in at it from completely different angles. I don't mean whether like how much we liked it, but just observationally what we've pointed out in the film. It's good. We've covered a lot. Wow. Right. Sorry. I'm 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 really shocked you're that positive on it. <laughs> Again, second week in a row. I just came out of it in the aisles, walking down in the aisles, thinking I liked pretty much every second of that. And I think what I'll put it down to, so I, I just said before, like people call me hypocrite because I watch a horror, horror crime film week after week. That's my thing. Sci-fi is your thing, but you're more into this than I. So you've got a higher tolerance level for it. I do think there's a lot going for this film and I slated it for not giving a lot of backstory to characters. And it maybe it's something we'll come on to in spoilers, but there is an emotional beat in this film which did take me by surprise. I didn't full-on cry, but I was surprised with how touched I was by it. So it wasn't that it completely failed on that level. It's just, I think you see the hype and you see the critic score and you immediately think that this is bringing something completely fresh and new to the table. I don't know, maybe that's my own perception. But yeah, I think I just expected a bit more, but I'm really glad that this ticks all the boxes for you. Where I think we do align is that this is not original. We have seen it before. You mentioned The Boys. I didn't. I didn't even think of that. I'm annoyed that I didn't think of it, that you did. But yeah, The Boys, Deadpool, Guardians of the Galaxy, but without the swearing, Thor, Ragnarok. And you even have the cameo from Taika Waititi in there as well, just to make that connection clear. Again, maybe teetering on spoilers, but his name comes up in the credits. 
he literally says one line in this film. I was very surprised as to how spurringly he's used because he seemed quite early on in the credits as if to imply he's a dominant role. But then again, that could be said for other cast members. Yes, yes, that's this is good, good one for spoilers later on. Yeah, he has one line, but I think that one line, I think that's supposed to be the th- summary of the whole film. That's what the whole film is about. And it is because I think when I asked my missus, when I interrogated her and said, why, why did you like this so much? Why did you love it? Inverted commas. She said, just, you know, nice big bunch of misfits who are really bad people. And they turn it round and, and they bring, I don't know what she said after that, actually. I don't know what she said. She liked it. It is about misfits. And I think it gets that point across very well. I do have one negative thing to say about the humour, even though I was laughing and we all loved it in the room i thought some of the jokes did run on a little bit too long just needed someone to cut it down a little bit one example milton who is milton yeah there's this mention of milton and indris elba says he was with us joke funny it's another two minutes of who is milton is milton with us and it's, it's mostly harley quinn you've this is going on too long and there was one or two other instances of that where I just thought, yeah, James Gunn, he's a genius, such a good writer, but just cut things down a little bit. No, I, I understand where you're coming from. I've admitted this was funny, but yeah, some things didn't quite work for me. I was a bit like, mm. I've not really said that I agree with you on the amount of F-bombs that are dropped, but I do think it's overly used and sometimes to heighten the comedic impact, which is not always necessary. Yes, I'm not opposed to swearing completely. The thick of it, for example, that I was thinking of because Peter Capaldi is in this film. The thick of it has turned swearing into an art form. Any more pre-spoiler things to bring up, James? I really liked the texture of the shark when it was close up. Yes, it did look incredibly good. Fine CGI, not a lion or a tiger, whatever it was in Jungle Cruise that you talked about last week, because that was shoddy. This yeah. looked good. Yeah, when he was pressed against the window and you had the streetlights passing over him, you could see the scales. I mean, it wasn't completely smooth. It was an actual texture. It looked excellent. That's my final point. (laughs) That's my final (laughs) point to make. But it probably was the most important thing that we've mentioned so far. So, Daniel, would you recommend The Suicide Squad? Yes. I know I've been down about it. I just had higher expectations. It's still a good, decent film to watch the cinema. I was just pointing out all the flaws because that's what I'm like. I'm a negative person. James, would you recommend The Suicide Squad? Yes. Very enthusiastically, yes. Let's now head on into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Let's start at the start. The shocking events of the opening where they kill off the entire Suicide Squad. Michael Rucker gets an intro. He's put in the Suicide Squad. They introduce the team. It includes Boomerang played by Charisma Vacuum Plank of Wood, Jay Courtney, Weasel and, and some other people. They attack the beach and they all get killed. They're all, they all die. Mostly. Apart from, yeah, apart from Harley Quinn and Captain Flag. I'm glad that I had not looked at any YouTube speculation about who dies because maybe it was obvious to some people that they were going to kill off a lot of the cast. And I did think from watching the first trailer, there's so many people in it just so that they can kill people off to make the point about it's a suicide squad and anyone can die. But I was not expecting them to do that. What was your reaction to that shocking opening of death? 
So I, I was a bit conflicted about this. We went to the cinema and watched Old the other week, and we've made a point, or I have, I don't like trailers, I won't watch them. When you sit in a cinema, you have to. Suicide Squad was one of the trailers last week, and I thought, you know what? When I revisit my memory of that trailer, nothing was spoiled for me, having watched this film. Nothing. And I really admired it for that. But at the same time, despite trying to be completely oblivious to any plot or anything, I knew people who were in this film. So it was a shock to me, but I'd much rather keep it under wraps as to who else is in the film. If they'd have completely killed them off and then it'd be like, oh no, it's completely different than you thought. Here's the Suicide Squad. I think it would have landed a lot more for me but I already knew that these people were coming in whatever shape or form that was but I still admired the ballsiness of it yeah and I really liked how the people that died they had quite lame powers so javelin throws a javelin boomerang throws a boomerang and Nathan Fillon was the detachable kid or or something and Mm. when his arms floated over all he does is slap them in the head and that's it (laughs) Really pathetic way as well. It was really funny, that. So they're all a bit rubbish and they all just get killed. It was funny. I really did like it. However, I didn't like going back three days earlier. It opened so strong and then said, well, reset everything now. Let's go three days earlier. You basically then get the same opening again. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you get the same opening. It was a tough pill to swallow, but I did swallow it and I did enjoy the rest of the film. Neither of us have done like any digging on reviews around this or what people are saying, but I did go back because I, I was so curious as to who actually returns in this film. And that opening, I might be reading too much into this, but it's almost like he killed off anything that was remaining that was bad in the previous Suicide Squad film. And was like, right, let's start again. Let's return the only thing that anybody liked in Harley Quinn and everything else. Let's make a, a really obvious nod to it was shit. Bye bye. Let's start again. I thought that was quite neat. Although from me doing that, I learned that Viola Davis is a returning character. Joel Kinnaman was in Suicide Squad as well. He was in the original one as well. Oh, so it's just Jai Courtney then. So it's just them acknowledging his film career. Yeah. And (laughs) everyone's over consensus that he is a terrible actor with no personality. Get rid of him. Bang, let's start again. I wonder how he felt about that, coming back and being told, you're just going to die because your character's rubbish, you're rubbish, no one likes you, just go away. I didn't mind as much as you did the reset and let's do the same thing again. I thought that was part of the joke was... Ah, it's funny, isn't it? Because you've literally just seen this bit. Now we have to do it again because we killed everyone off. I didn't mind it. This is maybe nitpicking now, and I think it's motivated by me being a Peter Capaldi fan. I like him in the thick of it. Not back to who, because I don't watch it. I really wanted him to deliver a really memorable role. However, the thinker was a bit of a wet flannel. So he's the head scientist of this starfish project, and they kidnap him to get access to the Jordanheim Tower. Now, being the thinker, I thought he would be one step ahead. And even if you capture the thinker, even if it looks like he's doing what you want, he's actually got his own plan and he's going to turn it all around on you and put them all in peril. That didn't happen. He is captured, does what he's told, gives away the big American scheme that America was behind it all and then gets comically killed off. That fits the rest of the film because it's also irreverent and nothing's that serious. But I was disappointed with Peter Capaldi's character. I'm with you on that. I'm quite a fan of the thick of it. And I I wish that he'd used his own accent because it's far more scathing and vicious 
and not nicer to listen to, but more entertaining the fact that he wasn't and he was English. I'm not being prejudiced against English people, obviously. English? Um, but yeah, I, di- I, di- I didn't like it, and I agree. I don't think he acted as like a stepping stone. He was a plot device. There was no reason for him to be there. And all, all this, look at all the things coming out of his head. Ooh, isn't this a bit weird? He literally carried out experiments. There's no other background. So Peter Capaldi dies. He's not the only one. So did the entire Suicide Squad. But they're not the only ones either because we're introduced to two bad guys that are the focus of the film around up to the halfway point, and that's the president of this country and his general. Now, there's this subplot that you mentioned with Marco Robbie, which I think is perfectly fine, where he like seduces her because he wants a wife because it will help his image because she represents anti-Americanism. He's killed off rather sharpishly, and I didn't see that coming, but it, for me, solidified how irrelevant these bad guys were. They're just there, much like Peter Capaldi's character, to just serve a purpose. There's no fear or dread behind their existence. They're not that intimidating. And that just took the sting out of it a bit for me. And then you get to the actual big bad that I mentioned, and mm, I'm very conflicted on how I feel about that. Are you referring to the big alien starfish? I am indeed, yeah. I was unsure of that as well. It's a giant alien starfish that they shoot at and they decide, let's be heroes and, and fight him. So it's Bloodsport, Polka Dot Man, Harley Quinn and Ratcatcher 2. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they're shooting at a big CGI alien with no personality. And that didn't really do much for me. The villain element was definitely lacking. I did like that it led to some quite striking images when she finally penetrates the eye with the javelin and she's in there and then all the rats climb in as bizarre and weird as all that was. I thought it made for something very visually interesting, so I did did like that. However, there's a pre-finale finale, which is the John Cena plot twist, which is John Cena is a double agent for the government. And he's there to make sure that the American secrets don't get out. He kills Flag and then Bloodsport kills him. So in the end, maybe that's where the villainous feelings are supposed to go towards John Cena. But all that happens there is Bloodsport takes one shot at him and he's dead. That's it. Move on. Yeah, probably is worth saying. Sorry if you did. Because I know some people listen to spoilers without watching the film. It might make very little sense. So yeah, America are behind this evil starfish weapon that they're producing. And basically, without them knowing, they've been sent in to hide or cover up the American government's involvement in it, which is what peacemakers' agenda is. Everyone else just thinks they're uh, trying to do away with starfish for the good of the world. Anyway, I take that point. John Cena is the evil person in this film. You mentioned pre-spoilers about an emotional scene. What scene were you referring to? It was basically the backstory to Ratcatcher 2's character. I know I've slagged him off. Not slagged him off, but Taika Waititi, he appears very sparingly in this film. He's not in it a lot. For that very reason, just the father-daughter relationship and what he says to her when they're sat on top of that huge monument about... I don't even know what the speech is now, but it's about fitting in and being an outcast. Even something as lowly as rats can have a purpose. Everyone can have a purpose. That was the one. Thank you. The music soared at the right moment and I felt invested right then. And it did produce a bubble in my throat and a tear working its way towards my eye. But it did not escape. Not to mention James Gunn's name over and over again in this review. But James Gunn, 
I think that's something that he does manage to do. He'll drop something that does have emotion behind it, like in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Mickey Rourke says, he might be your father, but he ain't your daddy, or something like that. It suddenly hits you. He does always find a way to tuck your heartstrings. I don't think I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2. In the first one, there's a mixtape, and there's some payoff with that at the end that left me a bit teary. Yes, Quill gets out mixtape volume 2. And I think the point is that it's revealed that it's his mum that's made these mixtapes for him that you've been listening to for the whole film. Minor point, funniest bit for me, the massacre within the jungle when they find out that they've massacred their future allies. That was hilarious. Yeah, was they didn't see anyone. It was how professionally they went about it as well. It was so slick. Death, 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 death. Oh my God, these guys are absolutely badass, amazing. Get to the final tent to kill off the remaining. Oh, whoops, we've made a huge mistake here. That was awesome. I loved that bit. Yeah, excellent. And that joke was not overdone. No, no, it wasn't. Let's not overdo the podcast episode and finish there. I had so much more to say, but fine. What are we reviewing next week? Zola, the film that is based on a 148 tweet thread about a trip someone took to Florida with the stripper. And one of your most anticipated films of the summer. Yes. Finally out in UK cinemas. Thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, you can do so at inthehourspodcast.gmail.com. If you want to follow us on Instagram, I posted quite a lengthy post with all the M. Night Shyamalan films, which not enough people like, so please add to it. At In The Hours Podcast, if you want to leave us a review, you can do on iTunes. Just do it, please. We need more. We don't. We're doing well, but still, every little counts. From now until then, thank you very much. James, any parting words of wisdom? No, but that was a sign-off as silky and smooth as a CGI shark skin. 